Dear Lord, we're so grateful that we can be here and we pray that we could learn um, powerful things that would stick with us, that we could apply in our lives and that would become real, that they would become um, more a part of our living parable that you are trying to um, guide and direct, Lord. And we thank you for each and every one that's here. And we pray that you send your Holy Spirit to guide and direct. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so God has surrounded us with nature's beautiful scenery to attract and interest the mind. It is his design that we should associate the glories of nature with his character. If we faithfully study the book of nature, we shall find it is a fruitful source for contemplating the infinite love and power of God. And um, so we're going to talk some about photosynthesis, and I am not an expert on this. I'm learning. Um, but I think there's a lot of valuable lessons. So we're going to be talking about it. Basically, the goal here is we're going to talk some about the plant photosynthesizing and the person photosynthesizing, okay? So in this scenario, which we're going to use quite a bit, and we're going to kind of build and expand upon it, we're going to say that this is a church building, and these green dots are the people, okay? And then we have the sun, which I spelled S-O-N, right? Do you guys kind of get where we're going with this? Okay. So... Um, I have some videos that are going to kind of talk about it because I couldn't get it all in a PowerPoint. But so, how do you guys think that we create healthy plants? Do you think it's through the soil or um, through the plant? Through the soil? Is that the fastest way? So basically, we put fertilizer. We put um, You know, amendments, we do these things right, and that creates the healthy plant, healthy soil. Maybe I should, how do we create healthy soil? Is it through the, through the plant or through amendments, fertilizers, those kinds of things? Any, any ideas? Through the soil? Like the tomato plant, the, the tree, the, any kind of plant. All right, so we'll go on to the next one. So how do you create a healthy church? Through the individuals or through the group? Individuals, right? So it's interesting, right? I think a lot of the things that we do as a church is more geared towards the group. You know, we have evangelistic meetings and things that we... Sometimes I feel like we have evangelistic meetings to try and encourage the church members to come. And, um, you know, but we don't, do, we don't do a lot of things necessarily that are, that are focused on the individual. You know, and I, I think some things we could do is like, um, you know, we have Sabbath school and we encourage the little kids to memorize their memory verse. Um, but why don't we as a church have a memory verse that we, you know, every week we say as a group? There's lots of things we can do that um, will encourage individuals. So here's a video. We're going to jump right in. And 
This is um, by John Kemp. He's, a, he's not an Adventist guy. He's a self-taught Amish man. And I've, I've watched a lot of his videos. He has a lot of webinars online. He's got podcasts. And um, there's a lot of things that I've learned. And there's a lot of things that I think are pretty easy to see the, the spiritual um, comparison. So we'll get the, I think this one's about three or four minutes. Okay, so did you guys catch, did you catch that? You can, you can get to the same place both ways, right? But, and it's going to go a little more into detail in the next um, video, but it takes decades to get to the spot. And, you know, I kind of think this is similar to, um, you know, the, you know, when we become Christian, there's lots of things that the Lord calls us to do. You know, he calls us to healthy eating, right, to dress a certain way, to talk a certain way, to do these kinds of things. And when you do these things, um, it helps in your spiritual walk, right? But if that's your, your driving focus, your, your goal, it doesn't get you down the Christian road nearly as fast as Christ coming in and doing those things for you, right? And you might not ever get to the same, same place. Um, so he talked about photosynthesis, and basically the only way, from what I understand, that new energy gets into the soil is through photosynthesis. It's from the sun, right? So um, without the plant, all you have is, this, is sand, right? Because the plant is what brings the energy in. It feeds the biology. So the question is, have you ever been in a church that's full of sand, right? For some of you, we had a, a picture up here before where it had a bunch of plants. And without the plants, photosynthesizing, eventually you get sand. And I think this is what happens in our churches, right? They get smaller and smaller, and eventually we just get this, and um, it just grinds on you, right? Sand just, it's not a good place to be. So, um, so this is the organic matter the paradox. The question is, how is it possible when we have 50% of crop biomass below the soil surface in the form of roots and root exudates, at the same time, we also frequently hear that many crops deplete soil organic matter. And the question that I am asking is, how can both of these be true at the same time? And there's multiple possible answers to that question. But it led me to just the process of asking these questions led to some to the uncovering of some really fascinating research which i believe that all of you will find very interesting in your crop production systems so to begin with when we look at a plant's total sugar production over the course of its entire lifetime that total sugar production from the moment the seed is planted until the time when the crop is finally harvested we can consider that total sugar production as being a total of 100%. That total of 100% is divided into four almost identical quadrants. And I should point out as well, there is some variation here. 
amongst different crop types. Take reproductive versus vegetative crops, for example. So there can be some differences from one crop type to the next. But this general guideline holds true for the majority of the crops that we are producing in the field. So the total sugar production is divided into four almost identical pieces, where we have 50% below the soil surface and 50% above the soil surface. The 50% that is below the soil surface is divided into root biomass, where 25% of the total sugar production gets used to build root biomass. And 25% gets sent out through the roots as root exudates to feed soil biology. Above the soil surface, 25% gets used to build plant biomass, and 25% is utilized to build fruit, assuming that we have a reproductive crop. Now, this is really interesting information, and when we consider that 50% of the total sugar production, the total energy production is below the soil profile, there is, that is a tremendous amount of carbohydrates and amino acids. There's a tremendous amount of sugar that is in the soil system. There is no, when we have a really healthy crop, when we consider the amount of biomass that an average crop produces, we cannot put on enough organic materials, we can't put on enough molasses or enough sugar or enough humic substances economically to match what a really healthy crop can accomplish. So the piece that I'd like to point out, however, is that obviously this sugar profile, where this total of 100% is divided into four equal pieces, that distribution doesn't all happen at the same time. There, is a, there are different stages of plant development in which the sugars are patterned differently and are compartmentalized in different uh, places and different pieces. So when you look at the different stages of plant development, and during the seedling stage, when the plant is still small, the majority of the sugar production at this stage is going upwards to the upper part of the plant to build plant biomass. And only a very relatively small proportion is going to the root system. And the, oh, in fact, actually, when we look at this, 50% of the total is going, at this stage even, into the root system. But nothing is being contributed to fruit. All of it that is going up above is going into plant biomass. When the plant becomes a little bit larger, when we begin entering the framing stage, we now have sugar production in the, in the various sugar sinks going in three different directions. We have a sugar sink at the top of the plant, which is the apical meristem, where we're building plant biomass. Then we have root biomass below the soil surface. And then we also have the root exudates. And we have sugars compartmentalized into these three different sugar sinks. When the plant begins entering the framing stage, and actually we get to the point where we have very rapid plant development, a smaller amount of the plant's total sugar production is going to plant biomass, and the majority is actually going to root exudates at this point. So this is a very critical stage of plant development. And when, when we look at this, you might ask the question, well, the plant is building plant frame very rapidly at this stage. Why is why are we only sending a minority of the total carbohydrate and total energy production to the sugar sink at the top of the plant? And 
What is happening here is that the plant's total sugar production as an actual number is increasing very quickly because we have a larger plant biomass. So as the plant frame becomes much larger, it begins producing very large quantities of sugars, more sugars than it actually needs to build that plant frame itself. So it begins transmitting many of these sugars down to the root system and sent out through the roots as root exudates. This is a very critical stage of plant development because these root exudates, when we have at this framing stage, when we have 70 to 80 percent of the total carbohydrate production in most crops at this stage is transmitted out through the roots as root exudates. That's a tremendous investment that that plant is making that it hopes to recover in the future when it is filling fruit. And this is going to be the topic for another future discussion. But this is a really fascinating piece because this is how the plant actually builds energy reserves in the soil microbial profile that it can then, then tap into later in the growing season when it is actually filling fruit and has the greatest, greatest number of, the greatest level of nutrient demand. So at this stage, a framing stage, the plant is actually transmitting the majority of its sugar production into the root system and not into plant development as might be expected. This continues as we reach the pollination and the initial reproduction stage. And on this corn plant, for example, as soon as silking, and as soon as we get emergence of the ear and we start to begin tossing, we reach the tassel stage. Even at this stage, we now have very little energy of being used for plant development, and a lot of that energy has shifted to fruit development. And we're, the plant is still transmitting a large number of sugars out through the roots as root exudates at this stage. This changes radically at the next stage of plant development when plants actually begin filling fruit. Once they begin filling fruit, sugars are actually absorbed uh, and nutrients are absorbed very rapidly and very aggressively from the soil profile and transmitted up to the fruit. So this is at this stage of development is when the plant needs to be able to tap into the nutrient reserve that it created during the framing stage when it was transmitting sugars out through the root system as root exudates. So these the compartmentalization of these sugars into these four different areas happens at different stages of plant, at different stages of plant development throughout the entire growing season. When we look at this, the really interesting observation that you know, what we have observed in the field is that not all plants are photosynthesizing at their full capacity. In fact, many plants and many of the crops that we observe in the field are only photosynthesizing at a very small proportion of their total capacity. Many plants will have as much as, uh, or many plants, many crops, are only photosynthesizing at 10 to 15 percent, sometimes as much as 20 percent, of their inherent photosynthetic potential. They're not producing anywhere near the level of sugar production, sugar volume, that they have the potential for. So when we have a crop that has complete photosynthesis and is photosynthesizing very rapidly, we can see that, uh, we can visualize this as this large chart in which we have four different pieces. 
This is what a really healthy crop will look like. And I would add this qualifier. This division into these four different segments of 25% each only happens when plants are photosynthesizing at 60% of their capacity or greater. What do you guys think? Did you learn anything? It's way over my head, too. I had to watch this multiple times, but there's, uh, there's multiple things that we can extract from this. You know, there's, on the spiritual side, there's things that um, you saw most of it. The majority of the time, most of the energy was going into roots and root exudates. It was below the surface, right? You look at our spiritual walk, and the majority of our energy should be going into things below the surface, right, that nobody sees. You know, studying, prayer, service, these things, right? Um, another thing that I was, I was thinking about as I was watching this is, um, you know, a mother, right? We're told that before the child is born is so much more important than after the child is born, right? If the mother is not laying the groundwork, the roots, the root exudates, to where she can draw from, you know, as she's bearing fruit and beyond, She's going to get to that spot and she doesn't have the energy reserves, right? And that affects the whole life of that child. Yeah. Yeah. And I got another little video that's on corn that's pretty fascinating, but. Um, So what if the field was full of healthy plants, right? What if, back to the spiritual side, what if, um, you know, the son, Christ, was coming into the church and we were photosynthesizing fully, right? This is what it would look like. And, you know, we would be putting out roots in all directions. And, you know, basically what the, the plant does is it, send, it sends out the roots, the root system grows stronger, and it puts out root exudates, that it can draw from later. And how it builds healthy soil faster is that if a healthy plant, if it's healthy and it's photosynthesizing over 65%, like he said, it'll always put out more than it produces, right? So it's gonna put more than it needs, which will build up things around it, which will build up biology. And it's over my head, I can't explain it, but basically things, you know, it goes down the cycle, it, it turns into fat, which turns into um, humus eventually. So, yeah, and he was saying that you can never compete with plants as far as plants will always outproduce what we can put on through compost, through all these different sources. So, um, and it's the same thing in a church, right? If you get one person that's on fire, man, change the world, right? The world was turned upside down with 12 people. And that's happened multiple times. So is this your church? And if not, why? And um, so here's a quote. I'm sure all of you have heard it. But it is a solemn statement that I make to the church that not one in 20 whose names are registered upon the church books are prepared to close their earthly history and would be as verity without God and without hope in the world as the common sinner. They are professedly serving God, but they are earnestly serving mammon. This half-and-half -half work is a constant denying of Christ. 
rather than a confessing of Christ. So many have brought into the church their own unsubdued spirit, unrefined. Their spiritual taste is perverted by their own immoral, debasing corruptions, symbolizing the world and the spirit in heart and purpose, confirming themselves in the lustful practices and are full of deception through and through in their professed Christian life. Living as sinners, claiming to be Christians, those who claim to be Christians and will confess Christ should come out from among them and touch not the unclean thing and be separate. You guys have probably all heard that quote. And, you know, when he was talking about photosynthesis, he was saying that the majority of plants are not photosynthesizing correctly. And you guys have any idea or a guess of what percentage a typical plant is photosynthesizing at? Well, it needs to be 60, I think he said 60 or 65 or higher to be, to be working correctly. So the average, um, and he's a soil consultant, and he's all over the world doing thousands and thousands of samples, and basically he says the average is between, and I think he talks about it here in a second, but 15 to 20% of plants are photosynthesizing where they should be. So I think it's interesting. It's not quite the same correlation, but it's, it's fairly close. That, um, so another one here, it says, I lay, I lay down my pen and lift up my soul in prayer that the Lord would breathe upon his backslidden people who are as dry bones, that they may live. The end is near, stealing upon us so stealthily, so imperceptibly, so noiselessly, like the muffled tread of the thief in the night, to surprise the sleepers off guard and unready. May the Lord grant to bring his Holy Spirit upon hearts that are now at ease, that they may no longer sleep as, as others do, but watch and be sober. So I, think, um, so I think this is more the reality of most of our churches. You know, as we have a few in our church right, that are actually bringing in the sun, you know, it's coming through them, and it's going out to those around them, and yet, you know, we're Laodicean, we think that we're photosynthesizing, we think that we're, you know, we're doing a good work, and, um, yeah, so this is really, you know, this is what a healthy plant looks like, and I think this is what a healthy Christian looks like. You know, if we put um, all our energy into bearing fruit, and we're not putting our energy into root biomass, you know, into the Word and to um, all these different areas, it doesn't work. And one of the amazing things that it's in another video that um, I'm not going to show, but one of the the biggest causes for soil deficiency, you know, if you're deficient in calcium or something, isn't that you're deficient in, in that, but that you have an excess in something else, right? And it's usually the farmer that causes the problem. So he puts on too much calcium, right? And it causes a deficiency in another area. And this is the same way in our life, right? If we don't follow the eight rules of health, if we don't have temperance, 
It's the excess in one area that causes the deficiency in another area. Um, and that, that happens over and over. The really interesting observation that you know, what we have observed in the field is that not all plants are photosynthesizing at their full capacity. In fact, many plants and many of the crops that we observe in the field are only photosynthesizing at a very small proportion of their total capacity. Many plants will have as much as, uh, or many plants, many crops, are only photosynthesizing at 10 to 15 percent, sometimes as much as 20 percent, of their inherent photosynthetic potential. They're not producing anywhere near the level of sugar production, sugar volume, that they have the potential for. So when we have a crop that has complete photosynthesis and is photosynthesizing very rapidly, we can see that, uh, we can visualize this as this large chart in which we have four different pieces. This is what a really healthy crop will look like. And we add this qualifier, this division into these four different segments of 25% each only happens when plants are photosynthesizing at 60% of their capacity or greater. If that is not happening, as is true for the majority of the crops in the field today, when we have only usual photosynthesis instead of full photosynthesis, we end up with a much smaller quantity of total sugar production. And because we have that much smaller quantity of total sugar production, that sugar production also is no longer divided into four equal quadrants. Now, the plant biomass, the plant frame, and the fruit will actually absorb the greatest proportion of the sugars that that has, plant has produced throughout its entire lifetime. And the result is that we have a much smaller root biomass, and we have very little sugars sent out through the roots as root exudates. This is true because the plants need to utilize all those sugars for themselves. If we have limited photosynthetic capacity during the framing stage and in the initial reproductive period, the plant will utilize the majority of the sugars that it is producing to build plant frame. So what do you think? When he said that, you know, with usual photosynthesis that the plants will use the majority of the sugars for themselves, I was like, man, I got to use that because that's, that's us, right? We have a very small sliver here that we're actually, that's below the soil. And we're using all this energy above the soil, right, which is what people see. And... It doesn't work, right? That's not a, that's not a system that's going to build and grow, that's going to create healthy soil. So again, you know, they use the sugars for themselves. So sorry, root exudates, whatever, that's what the plant's getting back from soil? Yeah. It's like sugars that goes out and feeds the biology. Yeah, so I'm not an expert, but the question was, um, what are root exudates? And basically, root exudates go out, they feed the biology, 
and the biology is what breaks down the rocks, you know, the organic matter and things, which in turn feeds the plant. Right? So it's kind of a, if you're not, if this plant isn't putting out those things to feed the biology, to break it down to feed the plant, it's kind of a downward cycle, right? Then you're just going down and down. So I thought this was interesting. It says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from ye that work, iniqu ye that work iniquity. And... Um, you know, I was thinking that in that pie picture, the majority of it was into fruit and, and biomass, but not into the roots. And, you know, the roots I'm thinking are, is, is the word of God. So here's another video that takes a little different twist. Um, and I think this one's really fascinating, too. A critical point of influence. Critical points of influence are a term I developed to describe the very narrow windows in which a great deal of a crop's future reproductive capacity is being determined. Many different crops have these very narrow windows in which the future, the reproductive potential of that plant is being determined in a very narrow time frame. So if we use corn as an example, but look at the various growth stages of corn and when we have these critical points of influence at the various growth stages. This is research that was done back at, uh, in, at Iowa State University in the early 90s, I think in 1992. They determined that 9 to 12 days after a corn seed germinates, that small seedling is the, the number of ears that it could potentially have, not that it will have, but that it could potentially have. 14 to 21 days after germination is determining the number of rows per year that it could potentially have. And then 42 to 49 days after germination is determining the number of kernels per row that it could potentially have. Obviously, achieving these levels that are predetermined is all dependent on having adequate moisture availability, good growing conditions, good mineral nutrition, and all of the prerequisites for fulfilling that genetic potential that were determined in the first six weeks of that plant's life. If we look at these, there's several interesting observations in these critical points diagram outline of corn. The first, what I find really fascinating is that we have is looking at the narrowness of the window. You have in the first segment, you have three days in the nine to twelve day window. If you miss that three-day window, if that basically that what this is describing is that that, if that corn seedling in a nine to twelve-day period is exposed to any level of stress, that stress is going to have an impact on the number of ears that that plant could potentially have. So you have a narrow three-day window. If you miss that window, if we have stress and we can help plants tolerate stress or improve their the stress tolerance significantly by ensuring that they have adequate nutrition to help buffer out the plant sensitivity to that stress. If you miss that window by a single day to 
help boost that plant, you've now moved past the 9 to 12 day window back to the 14 to 21 day window. You've lost an opportunity to have an impact on that plant's future yield potential. The second interesting point, if we look at this, is that the greatest level of plant, of future genetic capacity, future reproductive capacity, is determined earliest in the plant's life. So, for example, a 9 to 12 day window, if we can have an influence in that window and increase the number of potential years that that plant could have, we're going to have a much greater influence than if we simply increase the number of rules or increase the number of kernels. So the key to reducing yield loss is simply reducing stress at these critical points of influence. And this is a very key phrase, if we're simply reducing yield loss. The reality is that when we do something to, to improve, if we put on a fungicide application or insecticide or fertilizer plant nutrition product, whenever we see a yield response, the reality is that we have not increased yields. We have simply kept those yields from being lost. I began looking at the various critical points of influence at plant growth stages and trying to understand where are the primary CPIs that are fairly consistent across different crop types and what can we do with them. And I quickly began to see an overarching archetype of four different growth stages that were linked with different critical points of influence. The first stage is the planting and transplanting stage. And similar to the cone example, almost all grains and small grains have the greatest level of genetic potential is determined earliest in the plant's life. This stage is critical for two reasons. First is that the greatest level of genetic potential is determined at this stage. And the second reason is that a small plant cannot handle the same level of stress as a larger plant can. A one-week-old seedling cannot handle the same level of stress as a, an eight-week-old plant the same way that a week-old chick cannot handle the same level of stress as a week-old hen, or as, excuse me, as an eight-week-old chicken. The second stage, second critical point of influence is when plants begin building plant frame. At this stage, when plants begin building plant frame, if we look at a corn plant or we use a soybean plant as an example, six to eight weeks after a soybean plant has been planted, depending on the growing conditions, it'll be somewhere in about the third to fourth trifoliate stage. If you think about it, in the next six to eight weeks, that plant frame is going to double and triple in size. It's going to initiate a lot of reproduction. There's a lot of things happening. We're building a lot of plant frame. We have a lot of nutrient transport coming from the soil at that stage. The third critical point of influence is when we begin filling fruit. At the filling fruit stage, the fruit now becomes the primary sugar sink inside the plant instead of the root system. Lots of sugars begin to be transported and stored in the fruit, and we have very large nutritional requirements to fill that fruit. The fourth stage is really the icing on the cake. At the finishing fruit stage, a common problem here is that many plants do not have adequate trace mineral nutrition to fully support this critical point of influence, and the result is early plant senescence, or plants dying down instead of properly maturing fruit. So all of these combined, these are the four archetype critical points of influence. There are specific differences within various crop types, but these are the overarching pattern that fit a lot of different crops. And by targeting nutrition at specific critical points of influence, to, we can greatly Im 
improve plant's tolerance to stress at points in which it matters for the future harvest potential. Um, so these are the four critical points of influence, and I'm going to kind of compare those to our own life, you know. Um, I think it's pretty fascinating. So I've kind of just thrown some numbers up here. These are, these are some my ideas, trying to get you guys thinking. Um, so planting and transplanting, I'm thinking it's kind of maybe from conception to 12 years old. Um, Filling plant frame is maybe 12 to 25 years old. Filling fruit is kind of the, you know, childbearing years, 25 to 50. And 25 might be on the higher side, but somewhere in there. And finishing fruit is maybe, you know, 50 to death. And, you know, so the amazing thing is, is, um, you know, he said the greatest level of growth or potential for crop yield is early on, you know, basically nine to 12 days after you plant the seed. If you have a corn stock that can produce five years, you know, but it only produces two, your yields have gone way down. And that might just be because the soil's too cold or because of a storm or too much rain or any of those things. So when you, when you look at a child, right, I believe that's when you also have the most potential. And I think this is why we're told that children should be able to run freely outside and enjoy nature and explore and all these different things up to 10 years or old or older. So what happens if the devil comes up with a plan to put kids in school at three years old? Right? Their developmental whole trajectory, like everything changes. And another thing that he said was interesting is you can't, all the things we do don't increase yields, they just prevent loss, right? So a child has a certain amount of potential and our job as parents, as grandparents, as church members is to reduce the stress as much as possible so that that child can thrive. And this isn't only, you know, little children, but it's also new people that come into the faith, right? We like to hammer them and we like to do things, but they're on the same path. You know, we need to be gentle on them. So I, I was going to try and find some stick men, but I, I couldn't get them in my computer, but I was just going to show that, you know, as each person has their own developmental stages, they're overlapping with, you know, like as I'm having kids, you know, I'm at a certain stage and my child's at a, at a stage. And um, so this is just kind of showing our church again and that, you know, there's different people at different stages all around us. You know, so if we have a, a young family with small kids, um, you know, and I was just thinking about this the other day too, is that, you know, we're told that what's the most important job in the world? The mother, right? Well, that might, that might be the most important job at a school, right? But, but, but the most important job in this world, we're told that angels, you know, are even lower is the mother, right? Because she has the most influence. So in a church setting, if the mother has the most important job, 
what should be the most important job of that church? It should be supporting the mom, right? And oftentimes, what do we do is we say, you're young, you're full of energy, we need to, can you do this, can you do this, can you do this, you know, and, and you know, and she's at that time where, you know, on that chart, she's like consuming all this energy to develop this fruit, and, you know, so you might be at a different stage in your life where you're finishing fruit and you can step in and help this mother. And there's all kinds of ways that we can do this. Yeah, so the comment was the importance of the man being a part, you know, the house, the husband, house band to support the wife. And, you know, this, you can, you can kind of go on and on with this scenario, you know, but we're, another counsel we're given is that, you know, we should do things to help reduce the mother's work. You know, and this might be kitchen items, simple things, you know, but um, the mother has a, in a, a very important role, and you just think about the, the amount of energy that it takes. Um, so God has given us everything we need. We don't need miracle grow. Um, but, you know, the goal is to reduce plant stress in all stages of life. The early stages are the most critical in life and the Christian walk um, and nourish with food and water. So, you know, I just brought it back to this slide again. And again, I think that this is kind of the one in 20 scenario here. And, you know, this is what happens when somebody else around that person starts photosynthesizing. You know, their roots aren't going out all the way up, but they're starting. And they start building up those around them and more and more. You know, and then the church starts growing, right? It starts expanding. And then eventually it gets too big and they take some out and they transplant somewhere else, right? And they start building up the soil around it. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back. Can you hold that question? Okay. I think we're almost done here. Sorry, this is the, this is the goal, right? Is that um, without this, you know, below the surface, you just have a tree and eventually without a strong root system, it's just going to wither and die. And you might walk by and say, wow, that tree looks really nice, but it might only have a few roots down there. And when the stresses come, when storms come, when drought comes, when all these things come in our life, if we don't have the root system, um, you know, if we're not building up those around us, we have nothing to draw from. And I think this is also an amazing part of, you know, being a, an Adventist or a Christian is that, you know, I put energy into people um, in the church and people in my community and all these things. And when I, have a, when I have issues in my life or I have a struggle, you know, those that I've built up around me, you know, they, they jump right in and they help me. If you don't have that support system, which is what most of the world doesn't have, you know, if a drought comes, you just wither and die. And... I think that's my last slide, so we have a few minutes for questions. So, Well, so that's a good question. The, the question is, what happens if you have too many plants in a field? And um, so from a market gardener standpoint, you know, if I'm growing turnips, you know, if I grow them, you know, if I just throw like a whole packet of seeds down in one area, 
they don't develop a nice turnip. You know, they get taller and taller and lanky, and they're all trying to fight for the sun. And, but if you space them out, you know, a couple inches apart, they can grow nicely and develop, and they develop quicker. You know, so some people actually hand transplant carrots and turnips and things in a market garden setting to, to know that they're spaced evenly apart so that they develop fast. So, you know, I've had plants, um, comfrey, for example, that I tilled up, I didn't know it was there. And all they do, when you have too many, they're all growing up quickly and they're all trying to compete for the sun. They all get leggy. They don't produce much. So I think this is, you know, I've heard the analogy of uh, Avenist or Christian, we'll just say Avenist or like um, compost or, or manure, right? If you put them in a pile, it stinks and you spread it out. It does a lot of good, right? So hopefully that answers your, your question. Did you have a question or were you raising your hand? Just, okay. Any other thoughts or things we can add to it? Yeah. Yeah, so I live in South Dakota and we have ponderosa pine. And, you know, if, if you let them grow, they just get scraggly and um, close together. And, you know, as a, as a steward of the land, you go in there and you, you pull out all the ones that are split you know, that are deformed, that are too close together. You know, and eventually, over time, you get big, nice, tall, straight trees. And at this, when you're doing that, when you're taking all the junk, you're also getting rid of all the bad genetics. You know, and then eventually, these big, tall, straight trees produce good, tall, straight trees. You know, which is our children, right? And... Um, it's, yeah, you can go on and on and on, and it's fascinating. The deeper you look, the more you, you learn. But, you know, I think as we go back to our churches, the best things that we can do is make sure that individually, you know, we're photosynthesizing, not at 60%, but at 100%. You know, and, and when you're doing this, you're not focused on, you know, how much your, your neighbor is photosynthesizing. You know, you're just, you're doing what, what God has called you to do, and it, it, you can't help it, right? When a healthy plant is producing healthily, it gives way more than it needs. You can't, you can't hold it back. You know, the sun comes in, and it just it goes out. And one other quick comment is, um, you know, unfortunately, I've heard this a lot in the, in the Adventist world is that, you know, I have a property that I've bought in the country, you know, and when the time comes, you know, when I see on the news, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out there, right? And it doesn't work in this scenario because you don't have the root system. You don't have, you know, it's like the virgins, right? They didn't have the oil. They didn't have the established roots. They had the above-the-surface crop, maybe. It looked good. But when the time came, they weren't prepared so um, there's, uh, there's, uh, there's some other lectures that he gives that are really good. It breaks it down really clearly. But um, So basically, for a plant to photosynthesize correctly, it needs like four or five main elements. You know, let's just say it's potassium and magnesium, and I can't remember. It's been a while. But um, So you can do, and actually they have a, a newer test that's called a plant sap analysis. 
where they take the leaves and they essentially juice them, I guess, and it'll tell you exactly what the plant has. And this is also an amazing thing, is that you can literally, um, if a plant is missing magnesium every day, so, and again, I'm not an expert, but every day the plant brings in energy as simple, and it turns simple sugars, right? And then every 24 hours, it converts it to a protein, like a complex protein, and then puts it down in the roots. If it doesn't have what it needs, it stays in the plant as a simple sugar, right? So then you have bugs like aphids and all these things that only feed on simple sugars, right? So they come in and they're gobbling up the simple sugars. If the plant has what it needs and it converts it to a complex protein, that protein can't eat it anymore. Or the, the aphid or whatever can't eat it, it just leaves. So in the matter of 24 to 48 hours, he's seen plants that were infested with aphids where they're now gone. Wow. Right, and this is, you know, he goes back to saying you can do it, you know, it takes 20 years. And this is the same thing with our spiritual walk, right? Like you can get rid of sin maybe by yourself, by these things that you can, you know, these rules you're gonna make and you can avoid it. But when Christ comes in, Right, he can change it like that. He can take your desire and change it. And so, basically, that um, you know, once you figure out what your plant is lacking, you know, then you then you can know um, what to put in the plant. And there's some things you can foliar feed the plant to where it uptakes it instantly and starts getting the cycle going faster. Is magnesium one of those things? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. So the, I, I would encourage you to listen to some of John Kemp's, John Kemp, like K-E-M-P-F. He's got all kinds of webinars on YouTube, and I really like him because he's a self-taught Amish man, and he's, F, yeah, he's really easy to understand. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.